Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. This episode is all about doing more than therapy. It's about stepping outside of the therapy room and doing something creative that reaches more people. So if this is something that you're looking to add into your practice and you like what you hear, then do come on over to psychologybusinessschool.com and check out the Do More Than Therapy membership. This is our monthly membership that helps you confidently step outside the therapy room and help more people in creative ways. We've got masterclasses with experts that will help you to get that book written, to launch that online course, podcast or community project. On top of that, we've also got a supportive community with weekly coaching calls, monthly peer supervision and a thriving members only Facebook group. So if you like what you hear today, please do come on over to psychologybusinessschool.com and check out the Do More Than Therapy membership. Today, I'm really excited to answer a question that I got on one of my Facebook ads from Julie Grace. So Julie found me via the checklist that I created for setting up in private practice, and she commented that it was really helpful, but it left her with one big question. And that was, as a regulated group of mental health professionals, how can we let people know that therapy actually works without making some of the overstated, overblown claims that some of the unregulated online, well, I can't really call them professionals, but you know, the coaches, the um, people who've maybe done a week-long certificate in counselling, or some of those kind of online chatbots platforms make I think we all know what we're talking about here because we're all bombarded with it there are so many unscrupulous unqualified people that are out there telling people that they can cure their depression they can take away anxiety they can give you online EMDR with no chance of an ab reaction and it it is a bit of a scary landscape Julie I am totally with you um and it upsets me too when I see it So how can we compete with that? How can we compete with unscrupulous and unqualified people who are willing to make those wild claims? And how can we market ourselves effectively in a way that feels ethical? So in today's episode, I'm going to share with you my thoughts on ethical marketing. And I'd say this is the subject that I feel most passionate about. It's part of the reason I set up Psychology Business School and the Do More Than Therapy membership is that I I do believe we have to find this path that allows us to market confidently in a way that feels like it fits with our professional values. I think if I could wish one thing for everybody who listens to this podcast, it's that that's what you leave with. You leave with a sense of This is the way that I want to put myself out there and present myself in the world. Because frankly, I think as mental health professionals, as those of us that belong to the regulated bodies, we are really unrepresented in the media, on social media, everywhere. And we need to change that. There are so many things just this week that have been really upsetting to many of us. Um, We've seen online courses telling people that they can get qualified as CBT therapists in a week. Well, if you're a CBT therapist listening to this who sweat blood 
in order to get your qualification, then I imagine that is pretty devastating. And it's pretty devastating to all of us because it's the people that complete those courses who tend to go on to make these wild claims um, about the efficacy of, of what they're doing. And they really damage the reputation of, of our professions and they can have a really detrimental impact on the way that people view mental health. Um, and I'm not saying it's always malicious. I'm confident that it's often not malicious. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's about you know making money at any cost. And uh, the EMDR example that many of you will be familiar with that just gets under my skin and keeps creeping into this podcast because it makes me so furious. Um, I think that is malicious and deliberate and trying to get people's money knowing that they're not providing a good service. But I think much of it is is ignorance and people not realising that there are far more in-depth routes to becoming a regulated mental health professional that equip you with a far greater understanding of um, psychological difficulties and many more avenues for helping people than these kind of short courses can can possibly do. But either way, the important thing is that in order to change this, we first need to become visible. People need to see the difference between you and somebody who's done a one-week course or one of these chatbot platforms. So the first thing that you've got to do before you set about marketing anything is fix your mindset. Remember what makes you different as a mental health professional before you even attempt to get started with your marketing. Because you're not selling the same thing here at all. I hear people asking me all the time, how can we compete? We are not competing. We are not the same. You have to really understand and appreciate your professional skill set in order to demonstrate your worth to other people effectively. And for me, I think that if you've done a course which gets you real professional accreditation as a mental health professional, then you have a much deeper understanding of complexity. You've got formulation skills that set us miles apart from those unregulated um, coaches, counsellors, and and people that, that haven't put the time in basically. So so don't try and compete on price. Don't try and compete on those claims. Just focus instead on becoming really confident in your worth as a professional and that will shine through in your marketing. So in order to help me get in that right frame of mind for marketing, I often refer to a bank I keep of success stories. You know the client feedback that sticks with you and kind of makes your heart sing. So even if it's only a few words, I make an effort to write it down. If I ever get a moment like that where a client just says a few words that really make me feel like, oh, this was a worthwhile intervention or, um, or you know, I've made a real difference here in, in this person's life, then I write that down and I keep it in a file that I can look at when I need to feel a bit more confident in my abilities. And, and to be honest, that happens to me every time I try and do some marketing for, for the clinical side of my business. I'm always feeling really insecure. It's, it's common for the landscape out there to get under my skin and for me to have these thoughts about, oh, I can't compete, I can't demonstrate that I can take away anxiety or whatever. But actually reminding myself of my clients and what I actually do with them really, really helps. 
Um, so keeping that bank as kind of memory prompts for those moments when your filter in your head is just making sure that all you can see is, is negatives about yourself. That's really important. I also find that I get a bit of a boost of confidence when I've indulged my academic side a bit. Um, now, obviously, sometimes we can go too far with this, and I've talked about my CPD addiction before, but I do find that making some space to do some reading, looking at the latest evidence, uh, maybe doing a CPD course if it's been a little while since I've done one, and also connecting with peers, with like-minded professionals, with other therapists, um, clinical psychologists, counselling psychologists, educational psychologists, it really helps me. And I think, especially if you get a group that you can be honest with about stuff that you're struggling with and and you can hear kind of how other people are overcoming their struggles. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that people really value the coaching sessions and the peer supervision that we have in Psychology Business School and the Do More Than Therapy membership. So I would say if you're really struggling with this stuff and you can tell that it's your mindset that's blocking you, from, from feeling effective enough to convince anybody that you can provide an effective therapy, then you know talking to other people and being honest about that struggle can really, really help. So do, do look into that. Okay, the second thing you need to remember is that in your marketing, you want to show people your expertise and your authority as a mental health professional. Don't just tell them about it. So blogs, videos, podcasts, books, they all allow you to show your authority and the deeper knowledge that you have. Somebody who's done a one-week course in counselling does not have the required knowledge to, to write a blog series or a compelling series of videos or podcasts or a book. Um, to help their ideal client because their knowledge is really surface level. This is where we stand out. So say, you know, you're a counsellor who's been a counsellor for 25 years and has, you know, a wealth of qualifications in counselling people through bereavement. The depth you can talk about on that subject is completely out of the league of somebody who is, you know, out there making these spurious claims after what a one-week course so you have to demonstrate that you can't just tell people about it so a blog post on how to deal with a panic attack with kids in the car um for example where you talk about you know this is a problem that you know i've faced or many of my clients face and these are some top tips for dealing with it that shows people you understand their experiences and it shows them how you can help And it means so much more than those empty words you see often in marketing, like I create a safe space or I use my vast experience to help you. Um, No, don't tell them that. It doesn't mean anything. They're used to seeing, being bombarded with those kind of messages. You want to show people. And that kind of content you put a bit of effort into and there's lots of value in, like your blogs and your videos, your podcasts, your books, all of that, that really helps people. To, to see and feel that difference. The, another added bonus of that is that your blog post on that subject would be totally different to mine. 
And that allows people to see the, the individual differences between us. You know, we're both qualified people. We're both very well equipped to help people deal with panic attacks. But, you know, one of us might be better suited than the other to helping this particular person. And a, a blog post that's written in your voice that talks about how you would approach it really helps people to, to see that difference between qualified people as well. So that's a bit of an added bonus. The next thing I wanted to talk about, and I don't think any podcast on ethical marketing could be done without addressing this issue, is the use of client stories or testimonials in your marketing to show people that change is possible. Now, if you've been listening to this for a little while or you've come across me in any of the professional practice groups that I'm in, you will know that I pretty heavily fall down on the side that we should feel confident to use client stories. And frankly, that's because there have been times when I've struggled with my mental health. And I think if you've ever struggled with your mental health, then you know that part of you always wonders if change is actually possible for you. There's always a part of you that wonders if you're going to feel like this forever. And something I'm always trying to do in anything that I write, whether it's a you know a Facebook ad or a Facebook post or whether it's copy for my website or a blog I'm always trying to write with that overwhelmed suffering person in mind I'm trying to write what they need to see and frankly I think they need to see hope I think we all need hope so because we're in a really privileged position as professionals we know the strength of our evidence behind our interventions we witness people recovering from extraordinarily challenging life experiences every day. So we're, we're in this place where we've got all of this knowledge that change is possible. Of course, we also know that it doesn't happen for everybody. And, and we need a way of representing that, a way of representing hope that isn't kind of, you know, overblown or making a claim that we can't substantiate. And there's loads of debate on this subject, but for me, for this reason, I think using real client stories that show hope but aren't necessarily glossy is really, really important. So I'm going to share with you the way that I go about doing this. There are lo lots of ways that you could approach it, but personally, I collect feedback forms from my therapy clients um, and I ask permission to take comments from those from my website. The majority of clients say yes, some of them say no, and I respect that. Uh, but on that form, I ask questions about my practice. So all those standard things that you're probably asking about, you know, um, how helpful did you find me as a therapist? That was a bad example. But, you know, those kind of questions that are, that are literally about you kind of improving your work or improving the accessibility of your practice and, and that kind of thing. So I ask all of those questions. But in there, I also ask some key questions that have potential future clients in mind. So number one, I ask, why did you seek help? Number two, I ask, what else had you tried before you came to see me? Number three, I ask, did you have any worries about coming? Number four, I ask, what has changed for you since we started working together? And number five, I ask, what would you say to someone considering therapy? These are questions that are designed to show the journey that the client has been on, in their words. And that's far more powerful than the claim, I can cure depression, because it allows people to see themselves in the answers. Because often you won't get these kind of clear cuts 
answers. You won't get somebody saying something like, you know, oh, well, before I came to therapy, I had depression. Now I don't have depression. You won't get that. You'll get people saying something much more nuanced about, you know, I felt really low. I felt really hopeless. And now I can see, um, you know, that there's potentially a, a happy future in store for me or I'm thinking about what people have put on my forms before now I gain fulfillment from time with my children stuff like that which it's not it's it's worlds apart from those statements those completely unsubstantiated statements that you might be seeing on your Facebook ads from those unregulated professions it's real it's how people really talk and it's how people who have struggled and are struggling really talk and I think that shines through Um, But this does lead to another question. Should client stories be kept anonymous in order to be ethical? Now, again, there's huge debate on this. And I'm, I'm really open to that debate because I don't think we're finished thinking about this stuff. I'm a bit disappointed that I haven't been able to find clear guidance to share with you from our professional bodies on this. Um, If I do find some, I'm going to update this episode and link to it because I I think this is somewhere that we should be looking for guidance from the BPS, the HCPC, whoever you are regulated by. But at the time of recording, I wasn't able to find that guidance. I wasn't able to find a clear statement um, to help us on this one. Whether it exists and has been taken down for revision, I'm not sure but I haven't been able to find anything up to date to to bring you. So at the moment, I'm applying my best thinking. And for me, I choose to keep my client stories anonymous. And I have had clients ask me to use their name and picture because some of my clients passionately really, really want to help spread the message that therapy works. But at the moment, I've said no to that. And it feels really uncomfortable to say that in one way because all of my clients are adults with full capacity and I'm aware that this is me imposing my view and and my concerns on them. But I'll share with you why I've made that choice and I've I've made that choice for two reasons. Firstly, the power dynamics of the therapy relationship. I'm very aware that I passionately believe (laughs) that we need to spread the message that therapy works. And especially some of my longer term clients, um, that probably rubs off slightly. And I'm very aware that often, you know, when I've been in therapy, there has been a strong dynamic that I've wanted to please the therapist. I know that's a common dynamic in therapy. And the last thing I would want is for that to, you know, cloud somebody's judgment on this topic. So although we always talk about that, like I, you know, I use that um and and talk it through with the clients in those final sessions of of therapy I still fall down on the side of not wanting to 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 do that even if they ask me to for that reason the second reason is future-proofing so again because of my values and the way that I work as a therapist it's really important to me that my clients should one day be free to step away from the identity of mental health patient or even survivor of mental health illness. I I want them to be able to step as far away from that as they want to at any time that they don't find it useful. Um, And the internet doesn't always allow for that. So, you know, especially 
if if I'm working with somebody who has been through a really hard time and they've really struggled, they may not always want Google to remind them of that. And I and I want it to be their choice about how much of their identity is belongs in that kind of mental health advocate space. So that's my thinking. It's not the only way to think about it. There's a lot of debate. Um, and you know, I really encourage people in the Do More Therapy membership and Psychology Business School to debate this amongst themselves in peer supervision or our coaching calls so that you come down on a position that you are comfortable with. Because this is my thinking, in the absence of, of clear direction from our professional bodies, we have to apply our best ethical thinking and yours might be different uh, and that's okay. So I'm not sharing this because I'm like, I've nailed this, guys. Ethical marketing, straightforward, follow my process. It's not like that. It's about having the debates and knowing why you have made a decision so that you feel confident in it and you'd be able to justify it to anybody who asked you about it. So my final piece of advice for ethical marketing is making your marketing really tangible for your overwhelmed ideal client. Because actually, those people making the unscrupulous and overblown claims, I don't think they do this particularly well a lot of the time. So one thing I share with all of my clients who come to me for advice about writing is to use examples of common everyday problems that your ideal clients are facing and talk about how you helped a client to deal with that problem or how you would help them to deal with that problem. So these make for great blog posts, videos, podcasts, and client stories on your website. So on your homepage, you could list a range of problems that you can help with. And I mean problems, not just symptoms. So for example, you might say feelings of anxiety that are so strong you can't face leaving the house. So you're naming not just the symptom or the kind of emotional state of anxiety, you're naming something that it's holding them back from doing. And then simply saying, for more information about how I help with these problems, see this blog or this client story and hyperlink to those. So if you haven't already, then do go back to our episodes on blog writing and copywriting for some more advice on how to write in a way that really speaks to those tangible problems that your ideal clients are facing. Because there's a skill to it, but once you get used to doing it, it really helps you to stand out above people that are just making claims that they can't substantiate. Also, if you're not sure who your ideal clients are, so you don't know what problems to list out, um, then listen to the episode on the ideal client avatar because there is nothing more important than getting to know and finding and talking to your ideal clients before you start to do any kind of marketing. So do go back to that one because that's a real kind of bedrock of your marketing. So, In conclusion, do not despair when you see those Facebook ads with the overblown claims. You are not competing with them. You want to show people who land on your site what you can do for them and feel confident in that truth. That confidence will come across to potential clients and they'll see you as a safe pair of hands. So if you do want to go deeper on marketing or writing, then check out the Do More Than Therapy membership We have an in-depth marketing course to help you nail the ideal, overwhelm-free marketing strategy for your project, as well as masterclasses on all the major marketing platforms, from the press to Instagram, podcasting, and YouTube. 
And you get to learn in the company of a community of like-minded professionals who regularly debate some of this sticky stuff that we've been talking about today in our weekly coaching calls and monthly peer supervision sessions. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes. So if you're interested, you can join Do More Than Therapy on a free seven-day trial. Hope to see some of you there. Before I go, I just wanted to let you know that we're going to be taking a little bit of a holiday for a couple of weeks. So there won't be a podcast episode next week or the week after. The reason we're doing that is so that we can put all of our energy into preparing for the free training that we've got coming up on August the 17th. And then we've got two more dates available in September. This is training that we're really excited about, about helping you to set up a thriving private practice and get your business plan straight from the beginning. Um, So we couldn't be more excited about that training, but we need a bit of time to plan it and make sure it's as good as it could be. So I'm making um, the decision to not put out a podcast for a couple of weeks so that we can really focus on that and getting all of our resources ready. So don't worry, we won't be here next week, we won't be here the week after, but we will be back in your earbuds in the middle of August. So looking forward to seeing you then. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It'll help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy. Therapy.